0: Good morning, Coastal. How are you guys doing this morning? You guys doing well? Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're glad that you're with us. We're beginning a brand new series today called What If? Just talking about what if... What if we did some things differently this year in our life? And before we kind of dive into that today, uh, I want to give you an update on our greatest gift offering that happened in December. Um, one of the things that we do as a church every December is we take up a, a special offering. It's called our greatest gift offering. It goes typically to some sort of project that we're doing uh, a lot of times internationally. Sometimes it's been here locally. And this year was a little bit different. We just said, hey, you know, we don't, we don't know what exactly what our future looks like, but we know that... We believe that God has got some incredible things for us. And so we're just going to give towards our future, uh, maybe some future facilities. We don't really know. And honestly, as you're, you know, just throwing something out there like that, that's, that's not really a, a, a great way of doing that, but it's just kind of how we did it this year. Um, and and I'm, honestly, I'm just blown away as your pastor. I'm always, I'm always a little overwhelmed by how generous our church is in general. You know, there was guys that were out taking care of widows in Coconut Creek, Yesterday, um, code violations, we were over there throwing sod, landscaping so this, this woman wouldn't get in trouble, this older woman, and uh, you know, just out in community, and call your City, doing things in Africa, overseas. Just the generosity that our church has blows my mind a lot of times. And and this, this year, our greatest gift offering, I, I was honestly, I was kind of blown away. I, I want to let you know that you guys gave... Um, $80,241.89 in our greatest gift offering. And uh, yeah, that's like, that's a lot of money, okay? Uh, I, at least I think that that's a lot of money. I mean, that, that could buy like a, a something, I don't, you know, uh, like a nice seven series BMW. I don't know what it would, could buy, honestly. I don't, I don't have anything in that price range. But uh, like for me, your generosity challenges me as a pastor to be more generous, and, and I just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. I'm proud. I'm so proud to be your pastor Um especially in moments like these, when you guys are just irrational with generosity because that is the epitome of what God is. He's irrationally generous. Uh, You look at, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. He gave his one and his best, and you guys went above and beyond and gave. And so thank you to all of you who are part of that and participated in that to make that happen. I I believe our future is bright, and God's got some incredible things, so I'm excited about that. Today, uh, we're gonna be hanging out in Genesis chapter 12. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in our worship guide. If you don't have a worship guide, you can just pay attention to the screen. Everything will be up on the screen uh, today. Today we're going to be talking about what if we were to get outside of our own box? What if we were to get outside of our box? And one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is a chapter called Hebrews chapter 12. And it's this incredible chapter because it's all about the heroes of, of, the Bible. It's about the people who stepped out and lived with incredible intentionality. They lived with incredible potential realized. They lived with purpose, just like we heard Josh just sing Justin Bieber, purpose. Although teenagers were like, Yes, Justin Bieber. Okay, we got it over with. And so there, Bieber's done. Um, but like they lived with this incredible, incredible purpose. And, and there were so many people that are listed. In Hebrews chapter 12, people like Noah, people like Joseph, uh, we, we have Sarah, we've got Rahab, we've, we've got uh, Abraham. There's a lot of different individuals that were listed that are just the, if you were to go back and read through the stories of the Bible, these are some of the main characters throughout the Bible. And when I read through Hebrews chapter 12, because I want my life to matter, does anybody else out there want their life to matter? Like, you want your life to be significant. The majority of us, there's a couple of us that are like, no, nah, I, I just want to be insignificant. That's cool. You just, you just, you just kind of veg out today. Like, this isn't for you then. Uh, but for the rest of us that want our lives to be significant, I always ask myself, like, what was it about these people? Like, what was it about them that allowed them to live so intentionally and so purposefully? Like, what did they have that, that I need to have, and so I, I started analyzing, and I started going, well, did they, were they, did they just live like these perfect lives, where they didn't mess up, and they, they just were on, on, on all the time, and then you start to think about them, and you go like, well, Moses was a murderer, so uh, Rahab was a prostitute, Noah went super country song on us, and got drunk, and passed out next to his daughters, I mean, that's just weird, and so it wasn't because they were perfect, because it's obvious that they definitely were not perfect, And so you go, well, was it because uh, they were of a a certain gender and you realize right away that it's not a gender issue because there's male and female both listed in there and you go, well, maybe it was an age thing. Maybe they got to a certain age and all of a sudden they reached their potential and they lived with purpose and you realize that there was varying ages in that group. So it, it isn't an age thing. So what was it about these people that allowed them to live so purposefully? And I think it comes down to one thing and one thing only. The one thing that all of these heroes had is they had faith. And I think at the core of Christianity is this basic instruction and this basic challenge that comes out of 2 Corinthians 5, 7. It says, for we live by faith and not by sight. It's, it's the epitome of, of, of what Christianity is all about. It's not about what you see, it's about what God says. And do you believe that and do you live in that realm? Or are you live, living based on what you see and what you can feel and what you can experience? Now, the big problem with living by faith is that none of us really like to live that way. Can we be honest? I mean, none of us are like, I want to live by faith. Most of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, we want to live in our comfort zone, don't we? Come on now. How many of y'all you like your comfort zone? Come on, raise your hand, raise them up high, wave them in the air like you just don't care, party up in here, raise the roof, all that, okay? And so, you know, like we love our comfort zone and what I would call our box. We, we love our box. Because, wanna know why? Because it's our box. When we go into our box, like this is comfortable, like it's homey in here. Maybe not that, homie, okay? Right. Like, needs a few decorations. But I mean, this is, this is where we find comfort. The reality is, is this is where security is found. This is where we, we know exactly what's gonna happen in here. There is an illusion of control when we're inside of our box, isn't there? Like, I'm, I'm, I've got it together here. The problem is where most of the magic in life happens is not inside your box. Most of the magic and the incredible things, the the things that we read about in the Bible, never happen inside the box of people's lives. They always happen outside their box. And this is what I've learned. If you want to make a difference with your life, you have got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Let me just repeat that because some of y'all need to hear that. If you want your life to make a difference, if you want to have significance and purpose in your life, you have got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Now we're going to be looking at Genesis chapter 12 and... And the story that we're going to be looking at is the story of Abraham. And it's an incredible story. And I believe that, that it's going gonna, it's gonna to speak to some of us today that we're at a place where we're ready to venture outside the comforts and the confines of our box today. And this is what it says in Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It says, The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family. And so right here, you, you immediately see a pattern that God is addressing. He's saying, hey, listen, The places that you find your security, the places that you find your value, that you find your worth, that where you find everything that you think is necessary for your life, your family, your native land, your father's people. Listen, I want you to leave those things. Like, I want you to move out of the box in that area of your life. I want you to move forward in that. And he goes, and and go to the land that I will show you. And I think that this is interesting because God says, listen, I want you to get outside of your box and I just want you to go. I'm not even going to tell you where you're going to go. How many of you like that, like, instruction? Like, get out of your box and just start walking. Like, some of y'all are like, no, 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 I need MapQuest up in here, or Google Maps, or like, I need all that, and God's like, no, 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 I just want you to go. And this is what he says, and he says, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with them. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. And so here we see Abram. He steps outside the box. and He's like, I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God that this dream is a reality. And here's what I know about all of us is all of us have some dreams. How many of you guys have a dream in here? Most of you, I have a dream. Like we just celebrated Martin Luther King. He had a dream. And so, like most of us have dreams, a lot of us have got uh, some callings on our life. Maybe you're called to be a business person, maybe you're called to be uh be a, a wife or a husband. Maybe you're called to be a parent. Maybe you're called to be in ministry. A lot of us have some callings in life. Some of us have some promptings. There's some things we feel like we're supposed to do in our life. We all have all of these things. We all have some, some dreams, some ideas of what our potential and our future should look like. And a lot of us, we have those dreams and we're living within the confines of our box. Now, the interesting thing is, is you can have some incredible dreams. You can have some incredible promptings and callings. From, like, you can be like, man, God has called me to make a huge difference in this world for his kingdom. And I'm going to preach and I'm going to do all these things. But you're inside your box. And for every 10 dreamers that are out there, there's maybe one doer. For every 10 of us that have this incredible call on our life or this potential or purpose, one of us will make a decision to step outside the box and start to follow God and set some goals and move forward in life. But for the vast majority of us, We're never going to venture outside of the comforts and confines of this. Why? Because right there, it's safe. Right in here, we know exactly what's going to happen. Right here, things are predictable. we think man I'll venture out I'll step out when I've got all of my ducks in a row when I know every step along the way like when I know that the path that I'm going to venture out on is safe and secure and that it's stable And the problem with that, the biggest thing that we failed to realize in all of that is there are some things that are a lot worse in life than failure. We think, man, if I step out, I might fail. But there's some things that are way worse than failure. In fact, this week I was in Atlanta and I was in a bookstore in the airport. and I picked up this book by Joshua 4. It was called Moonwalking. Uh, with Einstein and it's this really interesting book about how do you become an expert like how do you excel in in different areas of life it's a business book and and like how do you become the very best in your field or your industry and in this book uh, as I was skimming through and just reading some of the chapters there's this one chapter where he says most people get stuck at this place called the okay plateau Um, and it's this place where you get to in life where you're not necessarily great at something you're average at something which means that you can get by you can keep that job you can you can have that activity and you're not going to be the worst but you're also not going to be the best but you're just going to you're going to kind of exist in that area of life and he says a lot of people just settle for their entire life at the OK Plateau. And he's saying, like, you don't have to settle at the OK, okay Plateau, but most of us do. Let me, let me kind of give you an example, because um, this is kind of a guy thing. How many guys out there, and maybe girls, how many of you guys play golf? You go out and play golf a couple times a year, once, twice, three times. Okay, no golfers, never mind that. We're going to skip the golfing uh, analogy, because apparently there's not very many golfers in here. How many of you guys type for at least 10 minutes a day? Type. Type for 10 minutes a day. Every student should be raising their hand, because I know y'all type. You guys make reports. Okay, you just fail out of school. Never mind. Uh, type for 10 minutes a day. Raise your hand. Raise them up high. Raise them up high. Most of us type in here, right? We Like, we text. We shoot some emails. Um, we write some uh, TPS reports, you know, whatever it may be. <laughs> Sorry, a little office space joke there. Uh. uh it, you know, we like, we do some typing. Now, now, let me ask you this. How many of you guys uh, are exponentially faster this year than you were last year at typing? F- four of you. Okay, almost all of us in here type 10 minutes a day. But yet, like, four or five of us are better at typing this year than we were last year. Why? Okay, plateau. I, I mean, I think about it. I type an hour to two hours every single day, Uh, emails, writing messages, and I'll probably type at the same speed I did 20 years ago right after I took typing class, right when I learned how to type. Like, I'm still at that skill level. Why? Because I've settled at the okay plateau. Now, the interesting thing that he says is he says we don't have to stay at the okay plateau, but we can actually break through the okay plateau and become an expert, but what it's gonna require is it's gonna require planned failure which I thought was pretty interesting, and he he explains it like this. So the vast majority of us type for at least 10 minutes a day. If you want to improve your typing this year, if you want to be exponentially better at typing this year than you were last year, what that means is that every time you sit down and type, you need to type 15 to 20% faster than what you currently type at. Now, I don't know about you, but if I type 15 to 20% faster than what I currently type at, what do you think my page is gonna look like? What is gonna be on there? A bunch of mistakes, right? Probably like your page, too, is going to have a bunch of mistakes. And what he says is, he says, you have to go back at that point and look at your mistakes. Analyze your mistakes and go, what words do you continually misspell? What, what letters do you continually get mixed up? And he says, in order to break through the okay plateau, it means that we're going to have to plan to fail and analyze our failures so that we can improve. Now, what does that mean for us as Christ followers? Because we like staying in the box, because we like staying in the comfort zone, the reason we like staying in the comfort zone, if we're all honest, is why? Because we make fewer mistakes in there. And if you stay inside your box, you know what? You're gonna make very, very few mistakes in life. But you're gonna live life with a ton of regret. Because, yeah, you can stay in the confines of this box and, and there's some other people that are going to venture out and they're going to make a lot more mistakes than you are. And you're going to get to the end of your life and you're not have going to venture it out and you're going to be pretty mistake-free in your life. But you know what you're going to have a mountain of? You're going to have a mountain of regret of what could be and should be for your life. And we'll settle for mediocrity because you never had the trust to step outside and believe God that he could do something that would blow your mind because you looked at the situation and you thought it was impossible and you were scared to death and you settle for the okay plateau. And I don't think God intends for any of us to live that way. And so what if we ventured outside the box? What would that look like for us this year? I want to tell you four things that I think you're going to have to remember if you venture outside the box this year, and that's the challenge. Number one, the thing that you're going to have to expect right away when you venture outside the box is you're going to have to expect some difficulties. You're going to have to expect some difficulties in life. Abraham, he, he ventures outside the box. He, God goes, hey, leave all of this, leave everything that you know, leave your box and just go. And Abraham does. He goes and he just starts walking and he walks and he walks and he walks. And eventually God says, hey, you're here. You've arrived. And you, and you think when you arrive, like you've arrived. And the very next verse after that is verse 10 in chapter 12. And it says, at the time... A severe famine struck the land of Canaan, forcing Abram to go down to Egypt where he lived as a foreigner. Now, this is the land that God had called Abram to. And the very first thing that he encounters when he gets to the place where he's supposed to be is what? He encounters difficulties. You want to know what's going to happen when you venture outside of the box of your life? You want to know what you're going to experience right away? You're going to experience some difficulties. You can count on it. You can guarantee it. There are going to be some difficult moments in your life. The question is, will you push through those difficulties? Will you push through them? I saw this great quote on Pinterest. Yeah, I'm on Pinterest. It's awesome. It says, uh, If you give up when things get difficult, that's like slashing your other three tires when you get a flat. I mean, just think about that picture there for a moment. You have some trouble, you got a flat, you don't go stab their other tires, you don't throw in the towel in that moment. What do you do? You change it and you keep going. And we got to remember that when we step outside the box, when we venture out into the unknown, when we venture out into this land of faith, that there are going to be some difficulties. But we have got to keep pushing through. And as we're doing that, number two, got to remember what God can do. We have got to remember what God can do. Romans 4.17 says this, That is what Scripture means when God told him, I have made you a father of many nations, This happened because Abraham Abraham believed in God who brings the dead back to life and creates new things out of nothing. There's two amazing thoughts here in this verse. It says, one, that, that God breathes life into dead things. God breathes new life into dead things. And I want some of you guys to know here today, you feel like you've got a dead relationship. God can breathe new life into that dead relationship. Some of you feel like your finances right now are dead. God can breathe new life into those dead finances. Some of you are facing some health issues and you feel like you're dying. I want you to know that God can breathe new life into that health issue and bring you back into full life. Like that's who God is. He is the God who breathes life into dead things. And number two, he... He makes something out of nothing. Like, that's an incredible thing right there. You're facing this impossible, and it looks like nothing's out there. Well, God can make something out of it. And you've got to stay focused on what God can do. you got to stay focused on what he can do because we forget that we are in, um, like, a contract with God almost. It's kind of like this. If I go buy a house, there's always a contract that goes with buying a house. And when you buy a house, there's a promisor. It's the person that's selling the house. They're saying, hey, this house is for sale and it's whatever is stipulated in that contract. This is what it is. They're promising that those things are true. And then there is a promisee. There's a person that's receiving the house and the promisor guarantees that everything that's in that contract is correct and that it's good. And so when the promisee takes it, that's theirs. They own that house. Well in our life god has made some promises to us He is the promisor and we are the promisee which means if god has said that he is contractually Obligated to fulfill that thing. It's not our job to fulfill it. It's his job because he's the promisor And some of us forget that and we get this messiah complex and we think well i've got to make this happen I've got to get this thing done. Well, you're not the guarantor you don't hold the guarantee. If I, if I take that to you, you can't guarantee it. The only guarantee we have is God. And instead of us trying to control the situation, we've got to lean back into him and remember that he is the guarantor. And so we've got to focus on the promissor and remember that we're the promisee. And as we do that, number three, we can face the facts with faith. Face the facts with faith. In verse 19 of Romans chapter 4, it says, And Abraham's faith did not weaken, even though at about 100 years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. And so here is Abram. He looks at himself, and, and he, he's, he's remembering this promise, and he's going, man, man, I'm old, and this promise hasn't happened. And, and honestly, I don't really think this promise is going to happen. And then he looks over at Sarah, and he's like, that, that promise definitely ain't happening. And, and, and you know, and, and so it continues. And Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. And I think this, this verse right here is faith at its core. Because for so many of us, it's facing the facts and it's facing the facts, but not being discouraged by the facts. And a lot of us think that faith is, is, is like, we've got a problem, and so we've got to deny that we have a problem. That's faith, That's not faith, that's denial. Like we, we, If we, we're hurting, like don't fake you're hurting when you're hurting you're in pain don't fake that you're not in pain when you're in pain faith is facing the facts but not wavering in the midst of all of that not being discouraged by them and that's exactly what Abraham does right here because there's a problem in fact there's a big problem and in the middle of that discouragement what it's real easy for us to do is it's real easy for us to run right back to our box. But instead of running to the box, Abram believes that somehow, some way, that God is bigger than his problem. And some of you today, you need to, you need to start changing your mindset. You think your problem is really, really big. But you've forgotten the perspective of how much bigger your God is than your problem is. And you've got to face the facts with faith. Yeah, you've got a problem. But your problem doesn't know it has a problem because its problem is about to be God. And that's a game changer when it comes to problem solving. And then number four, we've got to rely on what God said. Just a couple chapters later in Genesis, it said this, Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, Do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you, and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all of my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. Now, this is interesting because this is historically, they said this is about 10 years after God gave him this promise, um, and 10 years later, he stepped outside of his comfort zone. He's gotten outside of his box, and he's trusted God throughout that time, and all of a sudden, it seems like there's a little bit of doubt in Abraham's life. Like, he's starting to doubt in this moment. He's not quite as confident as he was before, and basically, Abraham is going to God, and he, he's just saying, God is like, is the deal still on? Like, is this deal still good? And I think that there are some times in life where you feel like you hear God. I know there's times in life where I felt like I've heard God and, things aren't happening the way I thought they were going to happen and in the time frame that I thought it was going to come about, and it's not looking exactly how I thought it was going to look, and I'm wondering, like, did I really hear God in that moment, or was that just, like, some bad Thai food the night before, like, that just that just messed me up? Like, and, and I'm asking God, like, God, is the deal still on? Like, is this still going down? And what I think is so important here is is us understanding what does it mean to live by faith? Like What does that mean for us? Because a life of faith is not the absence of doubt. And so many of us think that a life of faith means that we can't have any doubt and that we can't have any questions. And that's just not true. If you were to go and you were to sit down with the people that are in the hall of fame of faith in Hebrews chapter 12 and you were to go, listen, you guys did incredible things, you gals did incredible things, like tell me at any point while you were trusting and following God, did you have doubts or did you have questions? They'd be like, heck yeah, we had doubts, we had questions, like we were, we were questioning the entire time, we were like, this is crazy, march around a wall seven times and then blow trumpets and it's going to come down, are you smoking crack? Dude, <laughs> Seriously. Like, they're doubting. There's a lot of doubts right there. And some of us think, man, to have this life of faith, there can't be any doubts and there can't, there can't be any questions. And we think, man, if you're living in faith, there's just some people, they have faith, and then there's just some people, they're just doubters. There's some people that live with extreme faith, and then there's some people that just live with lots of questions. And we just got to understand that a life of faith is not living with no doubt. No doubt. Because if you have faith and you step out in some things, you're going to have some doubt. The question we have to answer is, is what are we going to do with that? What are we going to do with that doubt when it creeps up? Because it's going to creep. Are we going to run back to the box of safety and security and the known are we going to continue to press on and trust God even in the middle of all the questions? And I love Abraham because he just keeps firing off these questions to God. He just he just keeps showing up. And I think it's to remind us to don't be afraid of the questions. Man, listen, maybe you're here today and you're new to this whole church thing. You're, you're, you're just trying to discover Jesus and You're hearing about the Bible and these people, and you're like, man, I don't know that I I believe all this stuff. Man, I got a lot of questions. Your questions are okay. Like, your questions are good. It's important for you to ask your questions. You want to know why? Because our questions are part of our process. It's our part of our process to living a life of faith. And faith is a journey. It's this process. It's not something that's just microwavable. We put it in for three minutes and boom, we've, we've got all the faith that we need in life. It's a process of going through this. And, and Abraham has lots of questions. And you know what? He doesn't get all those questions answered. He wants some explanations about what's going on. And you know what? He doesn't get all of his explanations answered. And I think it's interesting because our culture today, we're so hell-bent on knowing everything, having all this knowledge. We're driven by information, and we think that the more spiritually mature we become, the more certainty we should have. But the reality is the more spiritually mature we become, the less certainty we should ever need to follow God. And the more you grow in your faith, the more comfortable you'll become with having questions that you don't have answers to. And maybe I shouldn't say this, but uh, as your pastor, man, I have more questions today about faith than I do have answers. In fact, almost every Monday, Shayla and I sit down for an hour or two, and we just, we just go, man, this is, this is what my question is. What do you think? And we, I'm hoping that she has answers, and she's hoping that I have answers, and most of the time we just walk away with more questions. But you know what? That's okay. Like, we don't have it all figured. If I could figure out God, there's no way I'd want to follow him. because he wouldn't be any better than me, because I'm not that bright. So like, you don't want me to figure him out. But it's part of the process, so don't be afraid of that. And Abraham, he's wrestling, and he's got this down, and then in verse 4 and 5, it says this, then the Lord said to him, no, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. So he's reconfirming the original promise to Abraham. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, and there's two things here that, that God says it's incredible. It's, One of my favorite scenes, he says, look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. It's like God says to Abraham, listen, you're inside your tent right now. You're inside your comfort zone. Listen, God, Abraham, come outside. Come outside. It's okay. Just come outside. I know you're starting to creep back in there, but come out. Come out. I just want you to look up. Abram, what do you see? He's like, man, I see stars. And God goes, can you count them all? And Abram's like, no. And God's like, you know who can count them all? I can. You know why I can count them all? Because I created and all of a sudden there's like this aha moment with Abraham. He's like, I get it. You can. I can't. You can. I can't. You're God. I'm not. And God's like, you're getting it. He continues on and he says, listen, listen, that's how many descendants you're gonna have. Abram's just blown away, and God, right here, He's just reaffirming this promise that you'll be a father of many nations. And I know that that sounds crazy and that sounds ludicrous to you right now, Abraham, because you're old and you have no kids. But I want you to know that your offspring. They're going to outnumber the stars that you can count. This is an amazing moment. Between God and Abraham. Just reaffirming who he is and what he has said because He's like Abraham. The reality is, is I know things haven't gone the way you thought they were gonna go. You, you ventured out, and you got to a land, and man, it's kind of been chaotic ever since you left. I mean, you've you've had some struggles. There's been some difficulties. I mean, you you've you struggled with some sin patterns in your life. There's been this lying thing that just keeps coming up over and over again. And then you know your family split apart. Lots over there, and you're over here. And I know that's eating you away inside. and And I know that that whole famine thing happened. You weren't really prepared for that. That kind of wrecked that moment. And I know it hasn't gone exactly how you thought it would go. But Abraham, I want you to know something. The deal is still on. Not because of your faithfulness, because let's be honest, Abraham, you haven't exactly been the most faithful in this process the deal is still on because I'm God and I'm faithful the deal is still on I want you to hear that the deal is still on because that is not just a promise for Abraham, that is a promise for every single one of us in Some of you guys need to lift your eyes. You need to lift your head because you're out there and you feel like, man, God has forsaken me. He has abandoned me. But let me just tell you something. The deal is still on. And God says he'll never leave you, nor will he ever forsake you. And what he began in you, he says he'll take it to completion. The deal is still on. The question for you is, is, will you get out of your box? Will you get out of your box and Will you trust him in a way that absolutely scares you to death to where it's, it's crazy to you? And I believe that God is, is whispering to you today, hey, come outside. Just come on out. Just come on out. It's okay. Come on. Just look up. See that. See those stars. on. It's about faith. It's about trust. It's about stepping out and venturing out into the unknown and seeing God do what He said He would do. Let's pray. God, we just come before you today and I know that this be a little bit of a a challenging thing because we all love the comforts and confines of our comfort zone our box it's easy to stay in that place because we feel like we have control there but one of the things that you said in your word is if we want to gain our life we have to lose it and today maybe there's some of us that we've been trying to control so much for so long That in doing so, we've lost the most important thing, which is trust in you. We've lost the faith to venture out because we've been trying to manipulate and dictate and understand and know and and walk every step perfectly when you're just calling us to step out and trust. And so God, I I, I pray that we would all be challenged today to move beyond where we're currently at. God, that we wouldn't stay back and let our dreams die with us, but God, that we would venture out into the unknown and know that there will be some difficulties, but in the midst of those difficulties, we can stand firm on your promises, on what you've said, and we can hold to those that he who began a good work in us will complete it, God, and I believe that you're a God of completion. I believe that you want to do greater things in our lives than we've ever thought or imagined so God I I pray today that we would take the challenge that as the gauntlet has been thrown down to get outside the box that we would move outside of ourselves and into what you have for us it's in Jesus name that I pray